Thank you, Alyssa Faith, for reading today's passage. For those of you who celebrate Chinese New Year, a happy Chinese New Year to you. For those of us who live in British Columbia, it is also Family Day weekend. And I pray you will have a wonderful time with family and friends despite the travel restrictions. On this Family Day weekend, I remember my earthly father, Abram, who is 93. He loved my mother. He demonstrated that love throughout their 65 years of marriage and cared for her as she struggled with Parkinson's disease and dementia right to her last day. My wife and children often ask me, will you be like your father? He was a very good husband. My father loves his family. He worked hard and provided for us. He's been generous to me and my brothers and our families. He enjoys giving good gifts to his children, grandchildren, and now great-grandchildren. He's always fair. We never wonder whether one brother or grandchild or great-grandchild is getting more than another. He's a really good father. Now, imagine if I were 16 years of age. If after 16 years of breakfast, lunches, and suppers every day, I threw myself at my father's feet one morning pleading, pleading, Dad, just please give me some breakfast today. My father would think I suffered from amnesia. He would ask, Ray, what's wrong with you? When have you gone without food? Do you not believe that I will care for you? Imagine if after the last three or four decades, I were to say to my father, Dad, could you just please be generous to your sons and their families? Please, please just be kind to all of them. My father would think I had no ability to observe what had happened over the last three or four decades. I think he would say, why do you offend me with this constant pleading as if I'm a stingy, ungenerous father? That kind of pleading before my earthly father would just be ridiculous. But are we not like that before our heavenly father sometimes? And why are we? Now imagine if my earthly father went to his father in heaven in prayer and said, Oh God, please care for me. Please be steadfast in your love. Please be faithful. Oh God, if you could just provide for me and my family. Our heavenly father would ask my earthly father what Jesus asks his disciples in Matthew 7 verses 9 and 10. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for a bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Abram, you're a good parent. Would you deceive your child or grandchild with something that resembled something good? At breakfast, would you give your child an inedible stone that looked like bread? Would you give your grandchild a a dangerous water snake that looked like a fish? The obvious answer would be no, never. How do we pray if we think God might give us useless gifts? How do we pray if we believe God will even give us harmful gifts? How do we pray if God is not completely trustworthy? 
How do we pray if we believe God is a distant, reluctant stranger who needs to be cajoled and manipulated to release a gift? Our picture of our Father in heaven is at stake here. Well, some of you might say, my earthly father was a bad father. He was not present, did not protect me. He failed to provide. Thankfully, we have a revelation, the revelation of who our Father in heaven actually is through Jesus. And I want to park here for a moment and talk about who Jesus revealed his Father to be. Because our view of our Father in heaven is foundational to our prayer life. Jesus presents his Father to his disciples as one who is present. You don't need to persuade him to pay attention. The Father follows your life and listens attentively to your prayers because of, just because of who He is and who you are to Him. He knows what you need before you ask Him. He's not ignorant. You don't need to inform Him. Jesus begins what we call the disciples' prayer with our Father in heaven. He could have started with our sovereign ruler or our creator, but Jesus chooses our father. The word for father would have been Abba in Aramaic, the everyday language of Jesus. Jewish children and adults use this name for their earthly fathers. (laughs) Joachim Jeremias, in his book, The Prayers of Jesus, comments that in the immense prayer literature of ancient Judaism, nowhere is this invocation of God as Abba to be found. Abba was an everyday word, a homely family word. No Jew would have dared to address God in this manner. But disciples of Jesus are family. We're family. Jesus invites his disciples into the kind of intimacy that he, the Son, experiences with the Father. A relationship that is alive and full. John A disciple of Jesus later writes, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are, 1 John 3, 1. So we are authorized to use family language when we pray. Our Father, it conveys authority, warmth, and intimacy. We can sit on our Father's lap, as it were, and talk to Him. And our Father is in heaven, This reminds us that he is ruling over all things. So we have this beautiful picture of a personal, loving, present father who is sovereign. He is not only good, but awesome in power. He can actually answer. The psalmist encourages us, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Psalm 34, verse 8. The truth of who we are praying to changes everything. If God is disinterested, weak, absent, and silent, then we resort to meaningless babble and magical formulas, whatever seems to work for us. But if God is sovereign and engaged, powerful and loving, transcendent and speaking, then we pray in a completely different way. Our heavenly father would say to my earthly father, Abram, what Jesus says in verse 11. Abram, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Your parenting, Abram, will never match mine. 
Notice that Jesus says, you who are evil. Even the best earthly father sins and falls short of God's glory. Our earthly parents have an innate impulse to do what is best for their children, but we are all flawed as a result of sin's corruption of all humanity. Sin came into the world through the fall of Adam and Eve. Jesus understands that people are by nature self-centered, not God-centered. He understands what, it, what is in a person. Nevertheless, earthly parents can give good gifts to their children. So if God is inherently good, how much more will he give good gifts to his children who ask him? James, the brother of Jesus, later writes in James chapter 1, verse 17, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Our Father in heaven is absolutely trustworthy every day. He loves to give good gifts. This is the foundation for prayer, a good, present, loving, all-powerful Father. So pray with confidence. Pray with confidence in God, your Father. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Just ask whatever. Are we then like Aladdin with God as our personal genie? Do we just rub our little prayer lamp and instantly God appears to answer every request? Is he like a grandfather who just loves to spoil his grandchildren? No. (laughs) Let's put these words of Jesus in their biblical context. Too often, verse 7 is lifted out of its context in the Sermon on the Mount and it's used like a formula as if God is just an ATM machine. In chapter 7, Jesus, he's beginning to draw to a close his Sermon on the Mount. I'm sure his disciples are asking themselves, How will we ever live these teachings of Jesus in the real world? How do we walk with meekness when we're being overrun by the powerful? How can anyone be pure in heart in this corrupt system? How can we forgive those who treat us unjustly? Where do we find love for our enemies? How do we avoid the extremes of being either a negative critic or just a naive simpleton? We ask the same questions, don't we? Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Ask refers to coming before the Father in humility and faith, conscious of our needs. As a child comes to their father expecting to receive. What is Jesus saying? In Matthew chapter 21, Jesus enters Jerusalem on a donkey as Israel's humble king, their Messiah. He is rejected and vilified by the Jewish establishment. The next day, as he enters the city again, he curses a fig tree, which symbolizes the Jewish religious system. And the disciples watch that tree wither before their eyes. This is how the disciples respond. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, 
But even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. The mountain symbolizes what is impossible. In other words, if you pray with faith, God will do what seems impossible to you. Does God always do the impossible for us? Is it just a matter of us having enough faith to boldly ask the Father to do something for us? Scripture will help us discern. Listen to what Jesus says to his disciples in his last extended conversation with his disciples prior to his crucifixion. We find it in John chapters 14 through 17. Jesus wants his disciples to know they can ask the Father and expect a response. He talks about asking and receiving no less than five times. John chapter 14 verses 13 and 14. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Jesus says, if you ask in my name, what does he mean? He continues in John chapter 15, verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. We are to abide in Jesus. If we abide in Jesus, his words will be in our hearts and we will ask according to his heart, his character and will. Later, John, the disciple of Jesus, writes in 1 John 5.14, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. We are to pray according to the Father's heart, his character, his will. What is his will? What are the good things the Father will give everyone? Well, Jesus has revealed the Father's will in the Sermon on the Mount. If you do not hunger and thirst for righteousness, ask for this hunger. If you are not meek, merciful, pure in heart, and a peacemaker, ask. Ask for the transforming work of the Spirit in your heart. If you are not the salt of the earth, a lamp on a stand, ask for courage. If you're filled with lust and tempted to sin, ask for deliverance. If you're having a hard time forgiving someone, ask for a deeper understanding of God's grace and and decide to forgive. If money has become your heart treasure and you want to be set free, ask to be set free. If you are filled with anxiety around the basic necessities of life, Ask for God's peace to fill your heart and rest in God's provision. If you lack discernment, ask for wisdom. If you lack love for your spouse and are tempted to commit adultery, ask for love and faithfulness. If you've been wronged and you're angry and are tempted to retaliate, ask for healing and love for your enemy. These mountains, God will move. There's an ancient Chinese saying, it is easier to move mountains than to change one's character. Or sometimes it's translated this way, the mountain can be moved, but one's character cannot change. What would Jesus say? Jesus would say, the mountain of your character can be moved. You can be transformed into my likeness by the Spirit of God. 
Jesus is crystal clear in John chapter 15, verse 14. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. You are my friends if you do what I command you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. We are Jesus' friends if we love one another as Jesus has loved us. We are to bear the fruit of love. So if we ask the Father for love, he will give it. He wants to. I remember participating in a seminar with uh, British theologian, Pastor John Stott. He urged us to pray daily for God to grace our lives with the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is a prayer for character change by the power of the Spirit. Can we trust the Father to fill us with His Spirit and transform us? Well, in Luke chapter 11, a passage parallel to Matthew 7, Jesus says this, Luke 11 verse 13, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The request to receive and be filled with the Spirit is a request the Father will answer. It's His will. This is a prayer He delights to answer. So if we're abiding in Jesus, immersing ourselves in His Word, we will ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit. We will ask for love for the Father and love for our neighbor. And we will pray with expectation. Why? Because God answers. Pray with expectation. Pray with expectation because we know we are praying according to the will of our Father in heaven. Some pervert these words of Jesus in Matthew 7 and promote a name-it-and-claim-it theology that goes something like this. God expects us to know what we want. He gives good gifts. So we go to Him with our requests, our agenda, and we boldly ask for what we want, a building a spouse, a new job, a vacation. And if we have sufficient faith, God will do it. This teaching actually strays far from Jesus' words and the clear teaching of the scriptures. Some other dilemmas arise as well. Commentator Michael Wilkins uh, tells an interesting story. Two speakers were invited to speak at the university where he was a professor. They were to speak on the theme of finding God's will for one's life. The first speaker had as his key text Psalm 46, verse 10. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. His sermon title was, Let Go and Let God. His focus was on letting God take control of their lives and finding peace. Students were encouraged to find a quiet corner and seek the mind of God. They were to let go of their striving, their ambitions, and their planning. Let go and let God. The second speaker had as as his key text, Matthew 7, verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. His sermon title was, Knocking Down Doors. (laughs) His 
emphasis was on students' personal responsibility. They were to exercise faith, explore possibilities, wrestle with God, and attempt various alternatives. They would only find God's will as they took steps of faith. After all, a moving car is easier to steer than a parked car. So knock down doors for God. Students were left confused. The counsel provided by the speakers, supposedly based on God's word, appeared to be contradictory. But were they? As followers of Jesus, we often face dilemmas produced by paradoxes. A paradox is any person, thing, or situation that exhibits an apparently contradictory nature. They may not be contradictory, but they appear to be. One speaker encouraged students to be still, based on scripture. Well, the other speaker encouraged students to seek and strive based on Scripture. What should they do? When faced with uh, a dilemma produced by an apparent paradox, we tend to polarize. In other words, we cling to one truth and exclude the other. Rather, we should do our best to hold truths together. The two speakers emphasized biblical truths that needed to be held in tension if the students were to pursue God's will, God's sovereignty, and their personal responsibility. When we pray, we both sit in the Father's presence and we persist in prayer. We do have moments of silence. We also have moments of pouring out our hearts before the Father. Both silence and active intercession complement one another. Biblically, we need to, to both hear God, hear His direction, and seek His direction. If we err on the side of being still, we may just become contemplative mystics who no longer strive to understand God's revealed will in Scripture. If we err on the striving side, we may become aggressive prayer warriors who think the realization of God's reign, His kingdom coming, it depends on us. Our will and our faith will become the determining factors. A robust prayer life will have both moments of silence and moments of active intercession based on God's revealed will. If we're immersed in Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount the foundation of our prayer life will be laid. We will pray for our Heavenly Father's name to be glorified, for His kingdom agenda to be done, His culture on earth as it is in heaven. If our lives are not marked by the culture of heaven, we will try to get our Father to work for us. James The brother of Jesus later writes to some first century disciples, James chapter 4, verse 2, You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. We must ask according to the Father's heart, His passion. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. What are we to seek? Again, if we read scripture, it becomes very clear. In 1 Chronicles chapter 28, the father says to the young King Solomon, if you seek me, you will find me. Solomon ran after other things. When the people of Israel 
abandoned their relationship with God and found themselves in exile, their Father in heaven spoke to them through the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah 29 verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. They were to seek God with all their hearts. And the promise was that they would find him. Seek and you will find. So what are we sincerely seeking? Do do we want God or do we just want what we think God can give us? For example, it's not wrong to pray for a spouse. No. But do we pray more for a spouse than we pray for our own heart transformation? Do we want a spouse more than we want God? Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew 6 verse 33, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first God's reign in your life, God's reign in your family, God's reign in your church family, God's reign in your city. Seek to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus, his righteousness in your life, and all these things will be added. So pray with hunger, yes, but pray with hunger for God, and your daily needs will be met. The psalmist exclaims in Psalm 34, verse 10, The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Remember Abraham? He needed a son to fulfill God's promises. He and his wife were old. But as Abraham gave glory to God, this is in Romans chapter 4, his faith grew stronger and stronger. And he came to believe that his Father in heaven could give life to the dead and call into existence the things that did not exist. That sure hope was the fruit of his intimate relationship with the Father. Abraham persevered in prayer. Jesus says to us, knock and the door will be opened. Uh, Knock, it, it suggests perseverance. It suggests active, diligent pursuit. In Luke 11, right after Jesus has taught his disciples to pray in response to their request, He says this, and he said to them, Which of you has a friend who will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, Though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. What is Jesus' point? Knowing our Father in heaven and knowing his will, We are to persevere in prayer, expecting God to open doors. We pray for the doors of understanding of who our Father is to be opened. We pray for doors to be opened in our hearts so that God's kingdom will come to our families, for his will to be done in our homes. We pray for the doors of our hearts to be opened to the presence of the Holy Spirit. We pray 
that our character be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. We pray for our unbelieving spouse or child or relative to open the doors of their hearts to the love and power and healing of God our Father. We pray with pure perseverance. We pray with perseverance because our God is faithful. We keep on asking, seeking, and knocking because our Father in heaven does hear us. He loves us, and he is ready to do his will. The parallel responses that we see there in verse 8, it will be given, you will find, and the door will be opened. Assure us of the certainty of the Father's answer to our prayers. This is not just for a few elite disciples. No, Jesus says in verse 8, it's for everyone, every disciple. The best gifts, those championed by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, are available to every disciple who asks, seeks, and knocks. So we persevere in prayer, confident that our Father in heaven will graciously and willingly provide what is best for us, the good gifts of the kingdom, according to his sovereign, gracious will. Let's pray. So Father, we just thank you again for who you are. You are present and good and loving and faithful. And you are sovereign. You are reigning over all things. You do have all things in your hands. And so, Father, may we follow the words of Jesus. May we seek you with all our heart. May we seek your kingdom. May your reign come in our lives, in our homes, in our families, in our neighborhoods. God, we pray that your will would be done, not our will. Oh God, transform us into your likeness so that we will reflect your image to those around us. Lord, where we lack love, fill us with your spirit. Produce in us the fruit of love. May we love you and all those around us. May we extend forgiveness when people have offended us. Lord, may we walk with meekness, with humility, with purity in our hearts because you are doing a new work in us, a new thing. Lord, thank you for revealing your will to us through Jesus, through your written word. May we take time to sit in your word, to truly hear your instruction to us. May it seep deeply into our hearts, and may we be filled with joy and pray with confidence in you, because you are always faithful. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.